Um, and we're starting a new series today. It's, it's on giving. Um, but don't worry, we're not going to be um, pressurizing you to, to up your giving. We're simply teaching around the subject, and we hope that as we consider giving and what is required of us, that the Lord will work in our, in our hearts. So that's what the series is about. It's called It All Adds Up. It's three weeks long. You're going to listen to me today, then John, then Brad, and that's, that's the end of the series. Um, and I thought we would start in the Old Testament. In other words, if you're a godly Israelite, what would be required of you to be giving faithfully to God? And uh, it, it's been a fascinating uh, study for me. Am I a little echoey? Yes, a little reverby. You want me to bring it forward? Okay, how's that? Good, good. Much better. Okay. Right, so that's where we're going. If you were a godly person in the Old Testament, what would be expected of you? So the Old Testament economy worked very differently to ours today. There were no credit cards, mortgages, cryptocurrencies, and the like. People pretty much bartered a lot of the time. You know, I've got one sheep for 10 bricks. Well, 100 bricks, 1,000 bricks. You know, it was kind of a bartering society. When, when the Bible wants to tell us how wealthy Job was, they didn't measure his net wealth in U.S. dollars, uh, but rather they said he owned X amount of sheep, this amount of cattle, and had this amount of children. So really the way wealth was measured was different to us today. It wasn't just about money. Your wealth had to, much to do with what you had. Uh, interestingly enough, there was no inflation back then, and banks didn't charge interest because, firstly, they weren't formal banks, but if you could find someone to lend you money, um, they weren't allowed to charge interest. So it was a little bit like Sharia banking today. So, funnily enough, the first way you were expected to give if you were an Old Testament follower of the Lord was through animal sacrifice. Animal sacrifice. And the sacrificing of animals is a very normal thing in some cultures, but in other cultures it's a little bit out there. Uh, we just saw how excited some people got at Clifton Beach uh, a couple of months back when, when a group of people sacrificed a, a sheep on the beach. It didn't go down too well. So the whole thing of, of animal sacrifice is a complex subject. But fundamentally, it's about taking something that is of value to me and giving it to God and and sacrificing something of value to show God how serious I am about Him. Obviously, in, in some cultures, people are sacrificing for other reasons. But we're talking about in Israelite culture, that was the basic reason. Oh, I didn't show you my Job passage. Well, here's another Job passage. So here's Job, for example, after his kids have been partying, uh, they would have sort of week-long parties, and then Job would think, oh, maybe they drank too much, maybe they did things they shouldn't have done. So Job would go the next morning and sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God. So this was something Job did. And he didn't go off to the temple to do it. There wasn't a temple when Job was around. 
he would do this in his backyard. Take an animal, stick it on the altar, kill it, and burn it to ash. And he would do that for each child. And that was his way of showing God that God was important to him and that he was serious about his prayers. In the Old Testament, there were five main offerings, believe it or not, sacrifices. And we're not going to go into all of them, but you can Google sacrifices of the Old Testament. But let me just run them through you. Uh, <laughs> run them by you, not run them through you. Uh, the, first, the first animal sacrifice was the burnt offering. This was when you took an animal and you completely and utterly destroyed it, burnt it, overnight and there would just be ash. The second kind of offering was the grain offering. This is when you'd grow some wheat or barley and you would bake a cake and then you would bring that cake to the temple. Uh, you'd cut a slice, okay, that's your slice, Lord, you'd burn that um, and the rest of the cake you'd give to the Levites. So grain offerings, it could be fruit, whatever. The peace offering that was also an animal sacrifice, but you got to eat some of it yourself. I mean, the sacrificial system was quite cool in that sometimes you gave it all to God, but other times you got to eat some yourself. There was the purification offering and, and the, the guilt offering. And, and as, as I've said, you can read all about them. So the, 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 the sacrificing of animals, the giving of produce as a sacrifice, this was... This was Something that happened in a big way. Here's an example of David moving the ark of God. Now, uh, there were strict rules about how you could touch the ark, move the ark, etc. And God's people broke the rules. They said, oh, you know, God's not really serious about that thing about only certain people can touch the ark. You know, um, and there was this guy, Uzzah, very well-meaning, and the oxen stumbled. He touched the ark. He wasn't a Levite. He wasn't meant to be doing that. And God zapped him right there, and then he dropped down dead. And David was highly upset with God and said, How can you do that, God? I don't want your ark anywhere near me. It can go stay at my friend's house, Obed Eden. But after a while, God realized how blessed Obed-Edom was with the ark, so he decided, actually, I do want the ark. So just to make sure that God knew how serious he was and that he wanted to be on the right side of God, we read that every six steps that they carried that ark, one, two, three, four, five, six, they would sacrifice a bull and a fattened calf. And can you imagine... If it's a journey of a few kilometers, like, I'm sorry to the animal activists. Um, we all love animals. I adore animals. But this is what they did as a way of showing God where we value you so much, Lord, that we're willing to take things that are value to us. And it's like a comparison. I'm showing you, Lord, how much I value you. And I'm going to honor you by, by sacrificing things that are dear to me. Remember, money was measured in, in animals, etc. So that's, that's what sacrificing was all about. Now we come to the exciting subject of tithing. Now tithing is prescribed in the Levitical law. Although you have to get all the way to chapter 27 to read about tithing. 
So the word tithe means a tenth. In modern maths, 10%. A tithe, 10% of everything from the land, whether it's grain from the soil, stuff you grow, fruit from the trees, it belongs to the Lord. It's holy to the Lord. The entire tithe of the herd and flock, every tenth animal that passes under the shepherd's rod is to be holy to the Lord. So if you were a farmer and you were bringing your sheep into the pen uh, on a particular day when you decide it's that time of the year we're going to tithe, you've got your rod there as the sheep come through, you'd count them, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, boom, you are going off to the Lord. And so you would uh, go through your, your crops, your, your animals, and that would be given to the Lord. I want to explain to you where tithing comes from, because this is pretty important to understand what it's all about. When God's people went into the promised land under the leadership of Joshua, they, they were, well, I mustn't say they were all given land because they weren't all given land. The Levites were not given land. All of the other tribes of Israel, Manasseh, Gad, Reuben, Judah, Simeon, uh, the Philistines are not a tribe of Israel. <laughs> they were all given land, but the Levites were not given land. So they all got an inheritance but not the Levites. The Levites, therefore, could not farm. They could not grow crops, have cattle, because they worked full-time in the temple. And so when the land is being divided out, uh, the Lord says to Aaron, you and your priests, you will have no inheritance in the land, nor will you have a share. I am your share and inheritance. I will give to the Levites all the tithes in Israel as their inheritance in return for the work they do. In return for the work they do. That number's 18, yes. So that's where tithing comes from. The, the Levites were given a tenth of everybody else's produce because they had the land, the Levites didn't, and that evened everything out. So when it comes to tithing, there was actually more than one tithe that was given. So I suppose at one point you gave 10% of everything you had, and then at another point, you also gave 10% of the 90% that was left. And in various times in a cycle of seven years or whatever it is, there would be tithes and cuts that were given to God. You may be interested to know that one tithe you even got to eat yourself. And we read about that tithe in Deuteronomy chapter 14. In other words, you would take, this is what the Lord commands, be sure to set aside a tenth of all your fresh produce every year. Eat the tithe of your grain, new wine, and oil, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks in the presence of the Lord. So one of the ways in which people gave and worshipped was to take some of what they were giving to the Lord and actually have a fat party with that and have a big feast and enjoy it and celebrate before the Lord. It reminds me a little bit of communion. Uh, although communion has a bigger meaning now than obviously what they were doing there. 
The Bible also says in this same passage, Deuteronomy 14, that if you were going to tithe and take all your stuff to, to give it to the Levites so that they would have food to eat, etc. If you lived far away, you could cash in your animal and then take your money to the temple. That's what the money changers were there for. They would take a bit of a cut, sell you whatever animal that you left back at home, replace it, etc. That's not my car, Brad, but thank you. Sorry, I, I had this little arrangement with Brad, because when I got here this morning, I find that my car wouldn't lock. So I said, if alarm goes off, could you just check it out? But that's not my alarm. The third kind of giving is giving to the poor. And this was also commanded, and it was like a spiritual act called almsgiving that people were to do. And it was prescribed in the law of God. It wasn't a, if you feel like it, if you were a godly person, you had to give to the poor. Um, here's that verse, Deuteronomy 15. If there's a poor man among you, um, do not be hard-hearted. Do not be tight-fisted. Psalm 112, God will come to him who is generous and who lends freely. So you're expected to be giving. When Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount talks about giving, he's not talking about giving to the temple. He's saying, when you give to the poor, do it like this. Don't make a song and a dance about it. So giving to the poor was an important thing expected of God's people as well. Then there were special projects. Can you see there was a lot of giving expected of you if you lived in the Old Testament period? There were special projects. For example, in Haggai, um, people were expected to give for the rebuilding of the temple. And the, the Lord says through Haggai, why have you invested so much money in your own beautiful houses? In fact, we're in a paneled room right now. And you see all the lovely wooden panels everywhere. That's wooden panels are spoken about in the Bible. Here's the verse. Is it time for you to be living in paneled houses? Anyway, we're meeting in the house of the Lord, and it has paneled houses. So, so, so that's good. We're, we're safe. Um, and so people were challenged to give to the projects. Be careful in, in your giving. Give to this. Um, and then there were also other taxes that the people had to pay. And because they were living in a theocracy, it wasn't kind of a secular state. It was a, a, a Jewish state with a king who kind of represented God with prophets for the cabinet. You know, so what the government decided was what the people all had to do. And it was part of God's kingdom as it existed in physical form. And so there were military taxes. And the point came when Israel decided they wanted to have a king. They wanted to have a king. They had been led by, by judges, and then they'd been led by prophets, you know, people like Samuel. Uh, but the Lord was the king of Israel. But after a while, they got tired of the Lord as their king, and they said, no, we want like a proper king, someone to lead us into battle and this kind of stuff. I mean, who'd want a real king if you could have the king of kings? But anyway, so Samuel warns the people and says, you know, you don't, don't ask for a king. If you do, he's going to take the best of your fields and give them to his pals. Uh, 
He will take a tenth of your grain. There's another tenth gone of your vintage and give it to his officials. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you will become his slave. So, so the prophet Samuel is saying, be careful about setting up like a king and all big government because it's just going to cost you much, much more. And in any case, it was a spiritual thing because the Lord was saying, I am their king. But the people said, no, 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 we do want a king. And then God said, okay, just have a king. And we all know where that went. Not too good. Then there were free will offerings. Now, a free will offering was different to a burnt offering and a grain offering and a sin offering and a guilt offering. A free will offering was something you just gave to the Lord out of, out of your own heart to show the Lord how much you loved and valued him. And these free will offerings were, were truly amazing as I looked into them. You had a drink offering. Okay, this is when you'd go down to the temple and share a drink with the Lord. Okay, there's the verse. It had to be strong drink, fermented. Okay, that means alcoholic. And you would uh, take your strong drink, fermented with your lamb, and you would pour out the drink offering onto the ground. You would sacrifice that valuable drink, and you would give it to the Lord. And you know from the New Testament, Paul describes his own life in Philippians. He says, I'm like a drink offering right now, just getting poured out to God. And then there were wave offerings, nothing to do with surfing, Mike. A wave offering was when you would bring your, your sheaf, sheaf, you know what I mean? Sheaf of wheat or barley, and you would give it to the priest, and he would wave it to the Lord and say, look at what we're giving you today, Lord. Okay, this is crazy stuff, but this is what happened. It was called a wave offering. I think we do the same today with flags, you know. That's our wave offering. So here's a little summary of what you were expected to give if you lived under the old covenant. Regular sacrifices to God. Various tithes. You're expected to help the poor. There were special projects you were asked to give to. There were the taxes in a theocracy. There was no separation of church and state. And there were free will offerings. Anybody want to revert to the Old Testament system of giving? It's actually a lot easier than the New Testament system, but we'll get there in a moment. <laughs> we'll get there in a moment. Right. Let me just say a few things about how this all went very wrong. Because whenever you talk about money and things close to people's hearts, the bit of the old greed can creep in, a bit of the old corruption can creep in. And so things did go a little, a little awry. The first thing we read about in Matthew is that people were bringing sick animals to God. You know, he'd be checking out his sheep. Okay, number one, number two. Oh, this one looks like it's going to be dead in the morning. <clears throat> I'll give that one to God. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's what Malachi prophesies. He says, what's wrong with you people? When you bring a blind animal for sacrifice, when you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, what's wrong with you people? You can't bring me some 
dying, diseased thing and offer that as your sacrifice. A sacrifice, by essence, there must be something that's valuable. Before the Passover in the old days, you would have to select a, a, a lamb or a goat, bring it into your house, and look after that little thing. And the reason, it was sort of in quarantine. You wanted to give it 10 days to see if it was going to die, or you wanted to make quite sure that thing was healthy. That's why you brought it into your home. You also built up a little bit of a relationship with it. So when you did sacrifice, it was like, ah, this is little Rover, or whatever they call them. <laughs> so, so people were, were sacrificing rubbish to the Lord. And the Lord was saying, try do that to your governor and see how it goes down. It reminds me of David when he was buying what was to become the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. He, he, he wanted to own that property, so he went off to chat to the guy who owned it, Aruna, that was his name, and Aruna says, hey Dave, you're such a cool guy, you can just have it. And actually, here's, here's an old uh, ox wagon and an ox, you know, just take it all, use the wood, kill the animal. And David's reply is, absolutely no way. I won't sacrifice to the Lord. Sorry, I'm on the wrong page. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. David understands the whole thing, that in order for a sacrifice to be a sacrifice, in order for that worship to have any actual meaning, that what we bring has to be of value to ourselves. And then, of course, the people weren't giving to the poor. So Isaiah 57 and 58, the Lord says, you're not, you're not sharing your wealth with people, providing for the wanderer, etc. In Isaiah chapter 1, God's people are called Sodom and Gomorrah, which is never good when the Lord calls you that. And why? what's the problem? They're bringing their sacrifices and the like. And the Lord says, just stop it. It's meaningless to me. Oh, that you would shut the gates of my temple and all go home. And what's the reason for that? It's because the people needed to seek justice, defend the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. So these things were important to God. Okay, Jesus, there's a little story about him paying the temple tax. Jesus also, uh, and, and he found some money to do it in a fish's mouth. Okay, it's a slightly novel way to pay your tax requirements, but there you have it. Um, okay, Jesus does affirm the Pharisees for their tithing. He says, well done, guys. You should have tithed your mint and your cumin and all the rest of it, but you shouldn't have neglected the bigger issues of justice in society, fairness, etc. But this was still old covenant living when Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. And there was still a temple, and there were still Levites. And the Levites also needed to have mint flavoring their pasta. And of course, Jesus also offers animal sacrifice 
on his circumcision day at his dedication. But because Jesus was so poor, um, the offering was two birds. Right, let's, uh, so was that interesting? That's giving in the Old Testament and all that was required of us. So how did things move as we, as we move into the, the New Testament age? Well, you'll be pleased to know that animal sacrifice has stopped. It is no longer required of us. The only sacrifice we still have to practice is, of course, human sacrifice. Okay, and we read about that um, in Romans 12, where Paul says, in view of God's mercy... Offer up your bodies as living sacrifices. So you need to remember that whole thing of sacrificing in the Old Testament. Take something of value to you. Give it to God to show God that you value Him. In the New Testament era, we are to take that thing that has the most value to us, ourselves, and we take ourselves and we give ourselves completely to God but it is a living sacrifice in other words we don't burn ourselves up overnight on an altar thank you thank you Lord <laughs> so next time you hear you need to be a living sacrifice just think wow that's so much better than being a dead one <laughs> so we ought to be living sacrifices in the New Testament era. And I think of John Wesley's covenant prayer. This is such amazing stuff. John Wesley was, a, was an amazing person. I am no longer my own, but thine. Put me to what thou wilt. Rank me with whom thou wilt. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed for thee or laid aside for thee. Exalted for thee, brought low for thee. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. That's the gist of what it means to be a living sacrifice. To have given yourself completely and utterly to God. So, what about tithing in the New Testament age? Nowhere in the New Testament, within the church age, post-Pentecost, are Christians commanded to tithe. And if anybody ever tells you, in order to have God's blessing on your life, you have to tithe, you need to tell them that is a distortion of the gospel. There is only one reason why God will ever bless any of us. And that is because of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And if you think there is something else you can do to earn God's favor and to get God to like you, over and above what Jesus did on the cross, you have seriously misunderstood the gospel. And you're actually in legalism. And this whole thing of people saying, if you don't tithe... God's going to curse you. The heavens will be shut. That would be true if you were trying to please God living under the Mosaic Covenant. But 
but I hope none of you are trying to do that because Paul already points out it's an impossible job. So, so tithing is not a law that Christians are under. But I do know how much of our money we have to give to God. And it's a nice round figure comprising three digits. <laughs> it's 100%. In, in Luke chapter 14, Jesus is explaining what it takes to be a follower of his. Okay, it's not a chapter you'll often hear sermons about. Because, I mean, who wants to hear about how hectic it is to be a Christian? In Luke chapter 14, Jesus says, don't be the person who starts building a tower and then you realize you've run out of bricks halfway up, you know, like the city of Cape Town, building roads. <laughs> Jesus says, don't be like the person who goes to war and then you find out, oh, we don't have any bullets, we don't have any troops, and we're about to get destroyed. Jesus says, be that person. That's why it says, in the same way. It's all about, you need to weigh up what's involved with being a Christian. Jesus has told these two stories about counting the cost. And then he says, in the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. This is how the New American Standard puts it. So therefore, no one of you can be my disciples who does not give up all his own possessions. And so God is not just interested in what you're going to do with 10% of your salary. Oh, yippee, 10%. God is interested in 100% of what we earn and what we have. And if we're a true follower of Jesus, all of that needs to be used for the glory of God. And how you work out what of your money needs to go to whom and to where and for what is between you and God. But there, are no more, there is no more temple and Levites who didn't get a share of the land, as it were. God's interested in all that we have. Not just we give 10% to the church and then I can live like a, like a king in a mansion because the rest is mine. No, it's not. All that we have should be used for the glory of God. Hence the old hymn, All to Jesus I Surrender. Giving to the poor remains an important part of giving for us as Christians. Jesus spoke a lot about giving to the poor. When you give to the poor in the Sermon on the Mount. John, 1 John 3 if you have material possessions and you see your brother in need but have no pity, how can the love of God be in you? After the Jerusalem council in Acts 15, they gathered together to sort out their theology. Do we need to obey the Old Testament law or not? Do we need to eat kosher food or not? And the answer is no, no, no. Cursed be anybody who says you do have to. And then they say, but we must remember the poor. The early church shared their possessions to the extent that there was not a needy person among them. Those people that had extra properties and fields sold that to 
to meet the needs of their brothers and sisters in Christ. Let me quickly say, that was not communism, and nor was that socialism. That is, that is Christian love in action. When a person willingly takes what they have and shares it with others, that is a great thing. When big government comes along and says, I'm going to take away from you what you've worked hard to produce, and I'm going to give it to you who I want to, um, that, that's not what's going on here. We just need to be aware that this is a little bit nuanced. Then there is supporting ministry and mission. And although there are no Levites to support, there are people in mission and in full-time ministry. And Jesus himself said in 1 Corinthians 9.14, those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. If a, a person is called by God and set aside by their church to do full-time ministry, then it is legitimate and actually required that God's people together help support that person who isn't free to be farming or producing an income in another way because all of their time and energy is taken up in ministry. So there are still people and ministries and missions and activities that we as God's people should be supporting. One last story in, in closing. Mark 12, Jesus is watching people giving in the temple. Rich people threw in large amounts. A poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Jesus called his disciples over and said, Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. I don't know what your takeaway is from the story, but one of mine is that when God looks at our giving, He looks at what we choose to keep back for ourselves. Sure, the, the wealthy people, in monetary terms, gave much, much more. But the person that gave the most was this widow. I'm not sure that's a pattern for us in the sense that, like, we should all be cashing in everything we have and giving it in one shot offering. You know, because then, wow, we'd relying on everybody else to support us. But I think here was a woman who yeah, was willing to give sacrificially. So in summary then, when it comes to giving, firstly we should be giving ourselves to God. Being these living sacrifices. Secondly, we need to realize that all that we have, not just 10% of our produce, all that we have, belongs to the Lord. If God's given you a, a lovely house, are you using that property for His glory? Uh, how are you using what God has given? Are you being a good steward? Are you helping the poor and the needy among us? And are we supporting 
those in ministry and mission. Let's pray, and then I believe our service is concluded. Lord, we have reviewed giving in the Old Testament and see, Lord, that actually quite a lot was required from people. Regular sacrifices, tithes, giving to the poor, giving to projects. Thank you for this pattern of giving that we see established. And thank you that as we come into the New Testament, Lord, you are our atoning sacrifice. You have offered your life, Lord Jesus, to earn us favor with God. And forgive us for thinking that there's other things we need to add to your atoning sacrifice. That we pray, Lord, that you would, be help, you would help us to be faithful in our giving. To truly give ourselves to you as living sacrifices. To live all of our lives for you and your glory and for your kingdom. Help us, Lord, to care for the poor, to feel concern for them, and to help them in ways that are helpful to them. And help us to be passionate in our giving for projects and, and people and, and mission endeavors. Help us to support the work of the Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you are able to supply all of our needs according to your, your riches. Lord, we want to echo that prayer of John Wesley. All that we have is yours. Here we are, Lord. Use us in whatever way you see fit. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you, everyone. Brad, is that it? Okay, that's it.